So we are officially in a new series um, called Encounters with Jesus. Now this series is going to be a little bit unique for what we normally do. Normally we start a series and we go through it and we're done, we're done with it. But this is kind of a um, fill-in-the-blank series, if you will. So there's several times throughout the rest of the year where we'll have different breaks between message series. And so what we'll do in those times is we'll, we'll jump back into Encounters with Jesus. Uh, one of the cool things about this series is that when you look at the Bible, all throughout it, you see individuals. You see people who have an encounter with Jesus. And that encounter transforms somebody we see sometimes it gives us an answer to one of life's biggest questions. Sometimes we see there, there's, a, there's something that happens in every one of these encounters. And I believe that this is not just something that happens in the Bible, but that happens today. When we encounter Jesus, something happens in our life. When our friends encounter Jesus, something happens in their life. And so, so what this series is all about is looking at specific examples where individuals encounter Jesus and looking at how that changes them, how that impacts them, what their response to that is. And what we can learn from that in the way that we encounter with Jesus. Because here's the deal. We all have a, a worldview. And in this worldview, it can affect the way that we respond when the Holy Spirit stirs. And so this is all going to be kind of unpacking that and seeing where it takes us. Um, and it, this will lead us up into Easter. So Easter, we have a, a sermon that's going to be called Watch Where You Sit. We're going to be looking at when Jesus comes out of the empty tomb, but we're going to be looking at a little bit different part of it. So I'm excited about that. And that's in two weeks. You want to make sure that you are here and inviting people to Easter. And that service will start at 1045, where, you know, right now we're starting at 11. That service two weeks from now will be 15 minutes earlier. So write it down, set an alarm, whatever you got to do, put it in your calendar. 1045, not next week, but the week after that will be Easter. That's what time we'll be starting. For this week, I want to look at Mark chapter 10 verses 22 through 31-ish, yeah, 31, and we're going to be looking at a story that I think most of us have probably heard uh, about a man that nobody knows his name, but we all know who he is because he's called the rich young ruler, um, and, and uh, a lot of times this message is perceived, you think, okay, he's going to be talking about money, but this is not about money today, so we're going to be looking at this, and I think a, a little bit different light from what it's been looked at in the in the past, but what I want to start off with is, do you remember a time when you first realized you were an adult? Now, some of us in here aren't adults or we're approaching adulthood, but you can look back in your past and say that you're different from when you were eight years old, right? You're different from when you were a teenager, if you're older than that. You're different from when you were in your 20s, right? And there's times where it kind of hits you, like and what kind of inspired this was I saw a video where they asked a group of 25 to 30-somethings, you know, when did you realize you were becoming an adult? And it was interesting seeing the different personalities and the different responses. Of course, you had the <coughs> jokesters that say, I never became an adult, right? And then you have others who, who realized that when they had so many bills, like, okay, now I have responsibilities, I'm an adult. But a lot of them were more like, you know, I remember getting excited about buying curtains for my apartment. And I thought to myself, that is an adult thing to get excited about, right? And so, but there's this point where we kind of all, we kind of transition, right? And there's this point of kind of growing into adulthood. And, and I thought about myself, like, I mean, I can remember times in college thinking there's no way I'm an adult yet because of some of the stupid things that I did, right? But I can also remember in college thinking, 
okay, well, uh, this is life. I can't believe I'm enjoying this, or I can't believe I just said that, or I can't believe I just bought this, and I, I guess I'm growing up. I'm an adult, right? And, and there's certain things that kind of make us an adult, whether it's um, the way our brain is developed, whether it's a certain age we hit, whether it's interest that we have. I mean, there comes a point where you absolutely love a nap. And I can remember being like a kid and hating naps, right? So there's at some point that there's this shift, but it's not always clear, right? Because like, I mean, I can remember being 13 and having distinctly different interests from when I was five, but now I'm nothing like I was when I was 13. So there's this sense of growing up and, and kind of there's this slow transition from childhood to teenager to young adult to adult. And somewhere in that transition, it becomes like, okay, I'm here, I've arrived, right? And, and we, there's this sense of it kind of gets this bad rap, like adulting is hard. Oh, I've got bills, I've got responsibilities. But the truth is, the truth is, yes, it's hard, but hard isn't necessarily bad. And I'm at a place now where I look and I've got a wife and I've got a daughter and I'm surrounded by friends and family and, and I'm an adult and I'm enjoying it. And so it's like, yeah, life is a lot harder. There's things that aren't going my way. There's some difficulties, but I wouldn't want to go back 10 years ago and not have the joys and the experiences that I have now. And that's not always the, tr- the truth for everybody, and that, and that, but I think it can be. And so when we look at this passage today, I, wanna, I want us to look at the fact that, that traditionally it's been a salvation thing, right? Traditionally, you see the rich young ruler, Jesus tells him to sell all he has and follow him, and he walks away sad, right? And there's this sense of it being a, a salvation message. And, and and I think there's some truth at that. And I think that, that I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to interpret this. I think it, it, it's an accurate way to interpret this. But I want to kind of look at it in the light of not being a salvation message, but a sanctification message. Now, that's a big word, and it's not really used a lot. But sanctification is basically like that adult thing, right? It's this growing from child to adult. It's reaching this place in our our walk with Christ where he removes all the sin and all the desire. There's a change in our heart. There's a repentance. It's, a, it's going from <coughs> being uh, not just saved, but, but walking and living with Christ. It's not just a getting out of hell free card, but it's an experiencing the fullness of Christ. And I, and I think that there's a, a contrast in the scripture that we can see that will point to that. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read it from the NIV, my Bible here. We're in Mark 10 starting with verse 17 and going to 31. I'll see if I can read through it without stopping, but I doubt it. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Which this this used to bother me a little bit, right? Like Jesus is sitting here saying, "Why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God alone." Like, why would Jesus say that? I mean, He is God, He is good. So why is He? It seems like He's rebuking this man for saying that. And I used to struggle with that a little bit, and and I would justify it with like, "Okay, God consider Jesus considered equality with God not something to be grasped," and so maybe that's where He's going. But when you look at this, this rich young ruler was a Jew by every sense of the word. He had followed all the commandments. He had followed, we'll see in a second, Jesus gives him this list of commandments. He follows them. So he was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was one of the people that were kind of against God. And so when he comes to Jesus and he says, you good teacher, Jesus looks at him and says, why do you say I'm good? 
if you don't think I'm God. It's, it's, not a, it's not a rebuke, but it's a saying, hey, you're right, I am a good teacher, but all the teachings that you follow, the people that you hang out with, don't believe that I'm God. But if God is the only thing that's good and you're calling me good, that must mean you believe I'm God, right? So it's this sense of saying, hey, this is I'm accepting what you're saying about me, but why are you saying that if you don't think I'm God? So there's this sense of saying, okay, Maybe this person is, is already following. Maybe he's believing that Jesus is God. Maybe he's not like the other religious leaders. He's called a rich young ruler. We don't necessarily see the title Pharisee. So there's this sense of, okay, maybe there's a salvation there already. Maybe there's a saved there already. And then it keeps going. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answering, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. He gives him a list of commandments. Thou, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. So we, we have a sense. Does anybody know what these rules are? Ten commandments, right? Are you guys with me? But it's not all the ten commandments, but it's like half the ten commandments. You'll notice the ones he leaves out are, you know, the no other gods before me. Honor the Sabbath. There's these, these commandments that he leaves out that are making God authority, right? So he lists these rules, and you put yourself in the rich young ruler's group. Like he's like, okay, I've followed a lot of good rules. I've been a good person. I've done a lot of good things. And then he goes to Jesus, and he's, and he's like, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Like, what do I do to, to get more? And Jesus gives him this list of rules that he's following, and he doesn't list any of them that he's broken. So he's like, getting by. Jesus gives me this list of rules. I've, I've followed all of these that he said, and that's even how he responds. He says, he says, teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. I'm a good guy. I've done these rules that you've asked me to follow. I've, these ones that you've brought up, I'm in the clear with honesty. I don't have to lie. I can say I have followed these since I was a boy. And then Jesus looked at him and loved him. So we know where this story is going, right? We know that there's something that this rich young ruler hasn't done. And Jesus already knows that, but he looks at him and he loves him anyway. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus loves you, right? No matter what, even when you've fallen short, even when there's rules you haven't obeyed, even when there's things you haven't accomplished, God loves you. Jesus looks at him and he loves him, despite the fact that he's followed some good things and, he's followed, and not followed others. Jesus looks at him and he loves him, despite the fact that he's got religion and not relationship, right? Jesus looks at him and he loves him by giving him a hard truth. Like the, the testimony that we just saw, the guy says, Lord, I invite your reproof. And he says he lost everything, right? And, and this is Jesus looking at the rich young ruler and saying, look, I've got, I love you, and there's some hard truth behind that love. And he says, I, Jesus loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of of God. Now, now, before I keep going on, I want us to, to take a second here and think, I want you to know that this is the American story. Like This is talking about money and wealth, right? And, and just because we live in America doesn't mean we're, we have a lot of, it really does mean if we look at compared to the rest of the world, we have a lot of wealth. But you might not be as rich as your neighbor. You might not have as much money as your neighbor. But what this is saying is there's this thing that this man has achieved, right? This rich young ruler has a tree, achieved wealth. The American dream is go out and get it. 
Do whatever you can to climb the ladder. Do whatever you can to get successful. Do whatever you can to get better. Achieve it yourself. And Jesus looks at him and asks him to give up that achievement and follow him. And this is the American story because we're taught, go out and get it. What is it that you've achieved? What is it that you've gotten? What is it that is, I'm preaching before I even get there. I need to stop. Okay, so, so, this is, so he says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom for the, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. <coughs> now this passage here has been, been kind of picked apart about how there was this little opening in the wall that was called the eye of a needle and you kind of had to squeeze your camel through it if the gate was already closed. And, and there's some commentaries that say that and there's some truth to that maybe, but, but I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. See, Jesus was, was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And a lot of times the teaching style, which we see through, from Jesus throughout all of the Gospels, is he, he will use extreme examples to illustrate what he's talking about, right? It's called a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. So when I exaggerate my stories, don't judge me. Jesus did it, okay? But he uses this illustration of getting a, a camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. And he's saying what's impossible in man's eyes is possible in the kingdom of God. So it says, then Peter spoke up and he said, we have left everything to follow you. So Peter's there and he's like, okay, this is, this is a, a sad moment. Like Jesus just looked at this rich young ruler, gave him a said, you know what? You asked me, you wanted more. You asked me to, to in, what do you need to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him an answer and he wasn't willing to give it up. He walked away. And there's this moment of, of heartbreak and sadness. Imagine being in that circle. And then here's Peter. And Peter is known for opening his mouth when he probably shouldn't, right? And here's Peter and he's like, hey, 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 Jesus. Hey, Jesus, look, we did that. We did that. That's us. We gave up everything and followed you. He said, we have left everything to follow you, right? Like you can't, I wish you could read Tom, but I just feel like that's where Peter's at, right? He's sitting there saying, hey, look, look, you've asked that guy, and he's walking away sad, but, but us, uh, this, your boys, the 12 guys, look, we're here, and we did that. And if you think back to the story, they really did, right? If you think about the, the, the first disciples were on a boat, and they were trying to catch some fish, and they weren't having any luck, and and Jesus goes up and tells them to cast the net on the other side. And it takes it's so many fish, they have to use two boats to get them in, right? There's this, this huge amount of fish that they've just caught. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come follow me. A weird detail of that story that I've never hung on to and never thought about is they left those fish there and followed Jesus. They had a fortune in their boat. They had, their ship had literally just come in, right? They had so much money worth of fish, and they left the fortune to follow Jesus. Think about Matthew, the tax collector, the businessman. He had achieved that success. He, had, he, wasn't, the, he wasn't like the fishermen. He wasn't the low people. He wasn't the sorry people, right? He was the good people. He had made his money. He was the tax collector. He leaves that behind, leaves the fortune behind, to follow Jesus. Peter spoke up. He said, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in, the, in this present age. So Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, I hear you. You did give it up. You did sacrifice you did leave this stuff behind to follow me. 
And those who do that will receive a hundred times as much. It says homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. It doesn't stop there. And it says along with persecutions. A lot of times we like to talk about how great and awesome it is to follow God. And we don't talk about, well, there's also hardship. There's people who aren't going to like you. There's people who are going to persecute you. But that doesn't compare. That doesn't compare what it's like to walk and live in the will of God. It says, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But those, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus is saying, you want the answer to your eternal life. You want the answer to the glory. You want the answer to that. It comes from sacrificing and following me. And I think that when we look at this story, when we look at the gospel, when we look at Jesus' life, we can see we can see a way to cross the gap. And here's what I mean by the gap. Every human being experiences God, right? Every human being experiences God. You can't walk outside and see a sunset and not experience God. You can't go to the Grand Canyon or the mountains or the beach and look out and look at the beauty of creation and experience God. You can't look at the birth of a child and not experience God. There's, you can't look at the stars in the sky and look at the, see the twinkle, see the constellations, see the beauty of creation and not experience God. The Bible says that no one is out without excuse. Paul says that because it's all around us. If you look at the beauty of creation and don't experience God, your faith is dead. Because God is there and he is moving all around us. But there's a difference from experiencing God and experiencing the power of God. There's a gap between experiencing what God looks like and seeing God and knowing the power of God inside of you. And I think that when we look at this story, we cross that gap. We see a way of of moving from finding Jesus to finding the power of Jesus in our life. We see this way of, of moving past being saved and into sanctification. We move past being a child through the years of being a teenager and a young adult and becoming an adult in Christ. And it's not a it's not a on this side looking, man, I don't want to be an adult, but it's being the adult and saying, man, life is so rich. It's so great. Life is wonderful where I'm at because of how Jesus is moving in my life. And, and it makes us happy to be where we're at. There's no glory days in the past. There's no longing for the future. There's being right now in the presence of God and experiencing his power. And we get, we get to that place and we look at what happens in this story. We look at what happens, the contrast between the disciples and the rich young ruler. There's this sense of, of being moving from good to great. There's a book, I think the author's name is Jim Collins. But the book is about moving from, it says that good is the enemy of great. That there's this greatness out there. There's this greatness which is the experiencing the power of God. But we get to a place in life where we say we're good. We get to a place in life where we start coasting. And I've, and I've experienced that, that part of this testimony that we saw earlier was this moving to a place where God took him to another level, if you will. When I was in college, I experienced a, a time with God, a time where, where Jesus became more real to me than he ever was. And a lot of my friends had the same experience, and a lot of them would, went and got rebaptized and said all these things like, you know what, I'm, I'm actually saved now, and I wasn't saved before. And I think when I look at Scripture, that's not the case. I think I was saved when... I can remember praying to Jesus. I can remember wanting to read my Bible as a teenager. I, I know that I knew who Jesus was. I was saved. If I died, I was going to heaven. But there was this years in college where, where Jesus moved in this amazing way, and I fell even more deeply in love with him. And I, and I kind of had this crossover time. There were still some times where I acted kind of childish, right? Like I'm not perfect. I still do that as an adult. But I had this time where I, I moved to the next level. 
And this next level happened and there was actions I had to take and God moved in my life. And I think we see that transition happen throughout this story. The first thing I think that, that we have to see is that he desired more. The rich, that's the point number one. The rich young ruler desired more. He, he was already following the rules, and he went to Jesus, and he said, how do I get eternal life? Something you might miss in this passage is that he was a practicing Jew, so he knew the Old Testament. And the Old Testament talks about it, but very rarely does it talk about eternal life. Does it talk about the afterlife? And at this point in time, that was not a common point of conversation. So this rich young ruler, he, he hears Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. He hears Jesus talking about heaven, talking about the afterlife. And he says, you know what? I'm following these rules. I'm in this relation. I'm in this religion. I'm doing these things, but there's more. There's more, and I want more. And I think that if we look at ourselves, where, where in our life do we want more? Do we desire more? Do we desire a moving of God in our life? Do we desire victory in situations? Do we desire better relationships? Whatever it is, where in our life do we want more? And then there's another point of view from this guy that is set, point number two says that he desires or he deserves more, right? First one, he desires more. Now he thinks he deserves more. Jesus says, hey, look at all these rules. Look at all these rules. He says, hey, I follow those rules. I deserve, I deserve eternal life, right? And there's this sense of, well, I want more, and I deserve more. And that's the perspective of the rich young ruler. And then also, there's a perspective of the disciples, right? The disciples, they wanted more too. But they realized that in order for them to get more, they had to relinquish all. And I use relinquish because it's an R word, and it helps with the outline. But you could put surrender, right? Like, I surrender all. You've heard the hymn they give it up. There's this price that they have to pay, right? They relinquish all. It says, Peter said to him, where, I, where we have left everything to follow you. And at this point, you can think about money, right? Because we talked about that when I was kind of reading through the scripture. We can think about money and the fact that they gave up a fortune to follow Jesus. But what they gave up was not really money. What they gave up was what their security was in, right? So the, their, the, for the rich young ruler, he could take care of himself. He didn't need Jesus to take care of him because he had enough money to take care of himself. For us, maybe it's, maybe it's pride, right? Maybe it's pride. I've got this ability. I can accomplish this. I don't need it. And God is saying, hey, if you really want more, if you really want to move to that next level, if you really want to become an adult and meet, you really want this better life, then you have to give up your pride. Maybe it's pain, right? Maybe there's a pain in your life that creates this anger, and you have this right to be angry because of this pain, but, but the truth is God is saying, hey, this anger is hurting people around you, and I need you to give it up and follow me. Maybe, maybe it's your intelligence. Maybe it's your brain, right? You're so smart. You can talk about You can debate. You can get your way out of everything. You can lose because you have this, this crazy good brain and whatever it is. But, and God is saying, hey, I want you to surrender that to me. I'm not saying that it's bad to be smart. I'm not saying it's bad to have money. I'm not saying it's, it's bad to, to for, forgive. You need to forgive. What I'm saying is that, that God is saying, hey, that's your security. When times get hard, you lean on that rather than leaning on me. When times get hard, you turn to, to the alcohol or the drugs or the, the, your intelligence or whatever, instead of turning to me. And you want more. You want more. You want to go to the next level, but you'll never reach the next level as long as you're depending on the, the thing that's making you great. You need to get to great through moving through Jesus, not through yourself. And, the way you, and when you do that, you relinquish all, you receive more. 
And that's what he was talking about. And Jesus said, you can't, if you give up all these things, you'll receive a hundred more times from me, right? In the present age and in the age to come. So you, you have to relinquish all and you receive more. You can't outgive God. The God, when we think about the gospels, we think about the disciples, we know who Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, we know all of those people because they had an impact on the kingdom of God, right? But when we look at the rich young ruler, we don't know his name because he had this moment where he could surrender it all and instead he bowed his head and walked away in sadness. When the, the disciples followed Jesus, they gave up everything and their legacy lives on to this day. Their legacy, the words they wrote, the words they spoke, the way the church grew, the, the fact that we're worshiping here today is a direct re, uh, result of the disciples relinquishing it all. So what you have to understand, what you have to understand as I close today is that the way we move from the first two points, which is desiring more, thinking that we deserve more, into relinquishing all and receiving more, right? The two, the, the first and the last are connected. We desire more and we receive more. But the inner two is, is a different point of view. Because so we have to understand that point number three, which is in the middle of all of that, if you follow me, is we have to pay the price. We have to pay the price of giving up whatever God is saying that you're leaning on for your control or leaning on for your security. I'm going to close with the illustration um, I don't know if this is a true story, but it's a story that's been told over and over again. So I'm going to tell it again and believe it's true because it works great for this illustration, right? So there's this little boy, and he is in a room playing, and also in this room is a, a vase. And the vase belongs to the family. It's a family heirloom. It's actually worth thousands and thousands of dollars, maybe even millions of dollars, right? It's, it's got this incredible value, right? And it's basically the, it's the most expensive thing that the family owns. And they keep it and they treasure it. And it's kind of like, hey, it's almost like a security. <clears throat> Where if something happens, we fall in hard times, we've always got this vase. And it's been passed down for generation to generation. And so the, the next owner of this vase is the little boy. And it's his vase. When he, when he gets old enough, it's going to be passed down to him. It's his legacy. It's his future. It's this expensive item that belongs to the, to the family. And then the parents are in the other room and they start hearing the little boy. He's crying and he's screaming. And they're like, oh, no. And they run in. And he's actually put his hand down in the vase, right? And his hand is stuck in the vase. And they're trying everything they can to get his hand out. They, they use some butter. They use some oil. They, they wiggle it. They jiggle it. They do everything they can to try and get his hand out of the vase. And it's stuck. And he's crying. It's frantic. It's starting to leave little red marks around his wrist. And he's getting, it's, it's a very stressful situation. And the parents are basically faced with this tough decision, right? We break the vase. We lose the family heirloom. We lose the thousands of dollars, the millions of dollars that this vase is worth, or we cut the son's hand off. It's a tough decision, but they went to break the vase, right? It's not really a tough decision. And the, the, the dad goes into the kitchen, and he finds this little hammer, and he very gently, because he doesn't want to hurt the boy's hand, he very gently starts to tap the vase. He's kind of tapping it in circles until eventually it crumbles around the boy's hand. And his hand is sitting there, and the parents look there, and their, their jaws drop. You see, his hand was like this. All he had to do was change the shape of his hand. But inside his hand was a 10-cent toy that he had dropped into the vase. And he was holding on to that toy. He was holding on to that thing that his security was in. He was holding on to that 10-cent toy. 
And by not letting go of that 10 cent toy, he lost his future. He lost the vase. He lost the thing that was worth millions. God is speaking to our hearts. He's speaking to our lives. And he's saying, hey, what's the 10 cent toy you're holding on to? Is it your money? Is it your pride? Is it your anger? Is it your your ability? Is it, is it athleticness? Whatever it is, what are you hanging on to? What's your 10 cent toy? What's the rich, the rich young ruler had his wealth. He wasn't willing to let go of the wealth. He lost out on the next level. He lost out on what it means to follow Christ and abandon him. Listen, I know so many Christians, when they die, they're going to heaven, but they are missing out on such a life-fulfilling future. They are missing out on the brightest, most exciting, exhilarating. They look at the future and they say, you know what? I don't want to be an adult. Because and Jesus is saying, no, it's because you don't understand what I have in store for you. You don't understand the future I have for you because you're stuck holding on to your 10 cent toy. We want to get from this place where we desire more of God. And we want to walk into that. And the way we walk into that is we pay the price and the price is letting go of whatever that 10 cent toy is. Letting go of whatever we're holding on to. So this morning, the, the question is, when, when the rich young ruler, he encounters Jesus, he doesn't let go. When the disciples encounter Jesus, they let go. Which one are you? Which one are we going to be in the future when God asks us to let go of something? When he asks us to walk into his fullness? When he asks us to move from religion to relationship? To move from good to great? To move from experiencing God to experiencing the power of God in our life? What is it that we need to let go of? What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now saying, hey, you encountered Jesus then and now. You encountered Jesus. How do you respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you don't only call us to greatness, but you give us the ability to act. Holy Spirit, you're inside of each and every one of us. We read that you draw us to you, that we, we don't even hear the voice of God without the Holy Spirit speaking it into us. There's nothing that we can do on our own. Lord, I pray right now that you will, you will speak to our hearts, you'll speak to our minds, you'll allow, give us the ability to open up our hand, to let go of whatever that is. Let us surrender that area of our life and continue to move forward in the fullness of following you. Lord, we love you and we worship you, and I pray that, that this message will challenge us and encourage us that we can be a people known for the greatness of following you, whether it brings, when it brings sacrifice, when it brings persecution, when it brings difficult times, that we'll know that greater is our treasure in heaven, that you are the greatest treasure that we can ever ask for or imagine. Let us know what it means to worship you with all of us, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, to give you absolutely everything. In Jesus' name we pray.